This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Welcome to the Money Pod, our podcast at Money 2020. I'm Will Haskins, Content Director, and I am here with Keisha Allison, Head of Content for Money 2020 USA. Hey, Keisha. Hey, Will. So, you know, we haven't ever done an episode together before, but I've been listening to some of your past episodes, and I've really been wanting to join in on the CBDC discussion. Well, we've been talking a lot on the Money Pot about central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs, exploring what's happening in China and in the West. Don't forget to take a listen to those episodes. I mean, after you've listened to this one. The exciting news is that there's been a development on the CBDC story in China. Earlier this year, it was announced that China's blockchain service network would be launching a network to process multiple CBDCs. China's blockchain service network, or BSN, which was first announced in 2019, provides infrastructure and tools for the deployment of blockchain solutions for Chinese businesses, as well as businesses that operate in or trade with China. Backed by the government's State Information Center, the founding members include credit card processor UnionPay, local telco China Mobile, and Red Date, a startup that builds smart city technology. To understand this better, we've spoken to Zenon Capron, director of Capron Asia, and Alan Madavi, managing partner of the Blockchain Founders Fund, to learn more. This is a really interesting development because there's a lot of possibility and potential, but also a lot of questions. Like many blockchain and DLT projects, the capabilities are exciting, but they require a pull factor to get their businesses to build for these standards. That said, they've done something quite smart by releasing a tool to support central bank digital currencies on the BSN. Certainly the uh, universal digital payment network that they've just recently announced, uh, UDPN as they call it, uh, has that intention of you know providing global infrastructure for central bank digital currencies. And you know, when we look at central bank digital currencies, they suffer a lot of the same challenges that blockchain does in general around incompatibilities, uh, both in terms of technology connectivity, standards, messaging standards between the different blockchains and, and settlement mechanisms for many of them as well. You know, whether proof of work, proof of stake or some other uh, method of uh, settling these transactions, whatever the case may be. So it it's almost taking a page out of the Libra or now Diem playbook. Diem, when initially launched as Libra, was designed as a effectively a, a, a global digital currency, and now they've essentially pivoted to become digital currency infrastructure. So China, although it was very anti-Libra Diem in terms of its rhetoric, seems to have taken lessons from that and is trying to replicate that. While a lot of the excitement is about the recent announcement about the CBDC infrastructure, Ali helped lay out the bigger picture beyond just processing CBDCs. I think this goes beyond only connecting CBDCs, right? Because that's one component. But when you think about that from a perspective, then you're sort of looking at this from a trade and international perspective of really like, you know, how can this actually be used across a lot of different layers of transactions that are occurring across the system, right? And so they have announced that CBDCs would be integrated, but that then makes it more applicable from a trade perspective. And so what we're seeing here that's really interesting is one, a much more simpler, you know, one-stop shop, sort of as they've, you know, kind of alluded to, uh, for developers to integrate this, right? And being able to integrate 
you know, 30, 40 public blockchains that are sort of pre-integrated, let's call it, right, into their blockchain services network. And that's their goal for, for this year, right? So that's pr- pretty significant. So what are the benefits? Why would you sign on to something like this? Much of the benefit comes from the ability to connect to trading partners. So if you can connect an entire supply chain, each of which can use CBDCs and programmable money in order to process uh, more efficiently and with less friction the international transfers that accompany a global supply chain, this could have significant effects and benefits. The international sort of uh, component is the one with all of these public blockchains uh, associated with it. But you look at that and then you think about the benefits from a perspective of, you know, a business that, you know, might be part of, say, a larger supply chain, right? And you could see how if all of these different parties were part of it, all of these sort of dApps were part of it, you could then have transactions across these CBDCs, sort of as you mentioned, and and those currency conversions and all of those aspects all sort of simplified, but being able to track all of the goods along the way that are, you know, also integrated on these dApps and across these different blockchains, right? And so it gets quite interesting. So what's in it for China? Well, as Ali talked about, Zenon agrees that the Chinese government could use this as a means to add incentive or reduce the burden of trading along their Belt and Road Initiative. There are many different ways that China can increase its international influence. But, you know, conceivably, just as an example, we could see BSN roll out to the BRI countries. And so if you, if you think about the BRI project in a particular country, say in Africa, there's a whole supply chain that's behind that that typically ties into China. Uh, there is an ecosystem within the country of, you know, suppliers and other participants in that project. So there's a lot of opportunity for bringing together multiple parties on a single trustless platform that blockchain technology could provide to enable not just payments, but facilitation around uh, trade finance and, and trade in general and supply chain management that is quite interesting. So that's kind of increasing China's influence in some of these projects in some of the countries where BRI or other projects are happening. And what's the actual potential for adoption? And that's really the key question. While there are a small number of Chinese firms that have been at the core of this project from the beginning, it's unclear just how other companies can get involved. And once you move outside of China, that question becomes even more complex. I think one of the big open questions for the BSN is is both domestically and internationally how firms will be involved. You know, there is some adoption domestically in China, but it's certainly hasn't hit full speed in terms of uh, companies and platforms that are using this. And similarly, internationally, uh, you know, you have the complexities of how to connect into the network. But then obviously there's a lot of geopolitical tension around China at the moment, both between China and the U.S. and Australia and, and many other countries. And there's that has come back on China on a few things. I mean, there, over the past couple of years, we've seen a little bit of a pushback on the Belt and Road Initiative, some questioning about the benefits of that. So I think a lot of those questions would probably be applied to the BSN as well as, you know, do, do around customer data, uh, privacy, the intentions of the government. A lot of those questions would be asked by international firms that were potentially looking at connecting into the BSN. If companies are sort of more obligated or required in some ways to start using this if they work with, if they have to work with Chinese companies, they want to access the Chinese market, you could actually see pretty quick adoption, I would think, from international companies. I mean, you sort of 
see this already happening, right? There's a lot of rules that China puts in and, and companies every day are looking to adapt to be able to access and, and, and attract those customers. Are other countries close to replicating this? The short answer is not really. The scale of investment and support from the Chinese government for this initiative is unprecedented globally. Certainly some private firms have developed similar platform concepts, but none of those have the scale that the BSN has. So far, we haven't seen any country invest as heavily in a central blockchain infrastructure as China has. Uh, Certainly other countries are exploring central bank digital currencies, which may or may not include a blockchain component, depending on the, the type of implementation that they're looking at. But as much of a systemic approach, I would say both to the infrastructure and the regulation as well. Uh, Very few countries actually have blockchain technology regulation, and China is one of the few that does that, especially around customer data. It's one of the areas that they're very concerned about. So, yeah, China, for sure, both in terms of the central bank digital currency and now with the BSN, is is really leading in this space. And if you do have a one-stop shop like this that simplifies it, I do think there's a, a big benefit. And and of course, other players, and we've seen other people talk about trying to do something at a much smaller scale and, and, than, than what's happening here. But there could be competitors that emerge in the future that that become an option to do this sort of thing. But as of now, there, there's nothing as bold as, as this happening from a simplification of development and, uh, and really streamlining it. China's been spending big on strategic infrastructure investments for decades now. But the BSN shows that this investment has expanded to include data, technology, and payments. You know what this reminds me of? The U.S. interstate highway system. When they built it, they did so assuming that there would be growing demand for it in the future. I think that's similar to what's happening here. When you think about these blockchains and all of the things that people all around the world are building on, five years ago, three years ago, we didn't know all the things that would be built that are being built and you're starting to see more of that and so you're starting to build this infrastructure with maybe not even knowing all of the things that'll come out of it sort of in the longer run that is it for this episode of the money pot we want to thank ali madavi and zen and capron for sharing their expertise with us we also want to thank our producer roman bodenham for his exceptional skill we're excited about how the Money Pot can bring you value in upcoming episodes. So if you have suggestions, please email us at podcast at money2020.com. And if you like us, please talk us up to your fintech friends. We aren't shy. We'd love to hear from you. And remember to subscribe. This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.